0: What is up, everybody? NBA this final. is Jim mylock and you're listening to Pod of Fame. The podcast where we break down the careers of former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about former Negro League baseball player John Beckwith and whether or not he belongs in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And joining us in just a moment to discuss Beckwith's career and Hall of Fame candidacy is the Director of Product for Sports Reference, Adam Dorarski before we bring adam on let's talk a little more about john beckwith so i'm gonna be very upfront about this and i say this throughout the podcast but john beckwith is not someone i know much about um to be perfectly honest i didn't know who john beckwith was even just a few months ago adam uh, who was a friend of mine brought him to my attention it was like we need to do a pod on, on beckwith and You know, when it comes to players that never stepped foot in Major League Baseball because there was a color barrier, you know, of course, Jackie Robinson famously broke that color barrier in 1947 in the NL with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and then Larry Doby broke it in the AL, and then these great black players then came into Major League Baseball and immediately started winning MVP awards because they were always way, you know, super talented, way qualified to be in Major League Baseball, they were just never given the opportunity. Um, I mean, the 50s alone, eight of the 20 MVPs were black baseball players, and the integration was slow. So the talent was immediate. But there was a ton of players that never got to see, you know, the light of day in the National League or the American League because of the color barrier. And it's super unfortunate. And with that, how unfortunate it is, there's a lot of players throughout history we just don't know. And John Beckwith was one of these players. Because if you look at the numbers that we have on Beckwith, he was one of the best players in the Negro Leagues during the Negro Leagues' existence. Um, So Adam and I covered this throughout the podcast. The Negro Leagues statistics available are not perfect by any means. Um, Baseball Reference has done an excellent job trying to gather as much data as possible, and it's still a collection that's ongoing of Negro League baseball players and how they perform. But the stats available today for Beckwith show he's one of the better uh, players in, in the history of that league. Uh, he has the eighth highest batting average ever. He was a 349 career hitter. He has the eighth highest slugging percentage a- uh, ever, 583. Eighth highest OPS ever, 986. Eighth highest OPS plus, 161. He also hit the 11th most home runs in the Negro League's history with 76 even though he played in the 59 most games, 491. Now, again, John Beckwith played in a lot more games than that. He had a lot more homers than that. But these stats that Baseball Reference has online, I encourage you to look at it, are stats for their league games, interleague games against major Negro League competition and top independent black baseball teams. It does not include any of the barnstorming games or the expeditions they played against Major League Baseball, white players in Major League Baseball. None of that's included. And sports reference even says this data is not complete. The research is still going. But the research they have available shows he had a 349 batting average, right? Like that, you don't stumble into that. And if you look at how he compares against you know, some of the players that I think from the Negro Leagues a lot of us are familiar with, you know, the cool Papa Bells, the Josh Gibsons, he he's he's right there. He's right there with them. He's just someone that is not, you know, that's not a name that comes off cool Papa Bell. I knew who that was at an early age. John Beckwith, I, I learned who that was again several months ago. And what Adam and I do throughout do, do, do throughout this podcast is not only talk about you know, John Beckwith and his career. But we talk about how Negro League baseball players are looked at by the Hall of Fame. Um, we talk about, you know, is there enough Negro League players in the Hall of Fame today? Are there players on the outside looking in that should be inducted? We talk about the lack of information and how that is, you know, is maybe held against some of these canons. And then we also talk about how in the hell did I not know who John Beckwith was until a couple months ago? I'm someone that prides myself on my baseball knowledge. I feel like I do know a good amount of Negro League players, but John Beckwith was someone I, again, I did not know about, and I'm still learning about now, and Adam does a great job on this podcast of informing me of, and this is one of the best sluggers to never play in the National League or the American League, someone who hit home runs that measured 460, maybe 500 feet. And it's just someone that, again, is not brought up a lot. So if you know who John Beckwith was before you clicked on this podcast today, you know you know more than me already. So you're not going to learn anything from me on this podcast, but you might learn a, a good deal from Adam. If you've never heard of Beckwith, you and I are in the same boat, and you're going to learn, again, a ton from Adam today. So I had a ton of fun talking about John Beckwith with Adam today. I learned so much. Uh, there is a chance Beckwith could be on the ballot. For 2025, it'll be up to the Classic Baseball Air Committee to vote for him. Um, He has to get on the ballot first, though. So that will be coming up in the next year. Uh, But after this podcast, I know a lot more about Beckwith, and I definitely think he deserves, that minimum, to be on that ballot. Do I think he should be elected? Well, that's what the end of the podcast is for. But we do have a great pod for you today. I want to do apologize. I believe I might say Uh, It's Beckwith. I think I say Beckworth several times throughout the podcast. I don't know who John Beckworth is. I I don't know if that's a person. Um, So I do apologize for that. I, I correct myself sometimes, but then I notice I almost say it every time I say John Beckwith. This could be because I just learned who this was a couple months ago. But bear with me during those times. But without further ado, let's bring on Adam. All right, so I'd like to welcome back to the podcast today, Director of Product for Sports Reference, Adam Dorarski. Adam, how you doing today?
1: I hope everything's going well so far in 2024.
0: 20, uh, well, we're only in day two, so I don't <laughs> think anything too bad could have happened yet. But um, we have a great pod um, today. And this is someone Adam actually brought to me. And that is um, the career and Hall of Fame candidacy of John Beckwith. Uh, He was a player who played only in the Negro Leagues. He did not ever play in the major leagues because by the time he was getting out of baseball, Jackie Robinson was still about 12 years um, away from integrating baseball. Um, And and at the top here, I want to say, you know, we're going to go through our normal um, segments here today. We rarely uh, get away from those. But before we do, um, you know, this is the first time this pod and we're over 200 episodes at this point. This is the first time we were ever covering a player who exclusively played in the Negro Leagues. Um, uh, Adam and I actually covered Minnie Minosa once a time ago who did start his career there, but eventually had a very long and successful MOB career. But I've never covered anyone that did not play in the National League or the American League. Um, And John Beckwith is, is the first to not have done that. And because of that, you know, some of the classic things that we talk about on this pod, you know, I point to statistics, how they did in this playoff series, their numbers a certain year, awards they won. A lot of those normal discussion points are not exactly available for John Beckwith. And we're getting to all of that and more. Um, but before we get into our normal segments, I kind of wanted Adam, and Adam, I'm going to put a lot of pressure on you tonight, but I kind of wanted you to break down a few different things for my audience here at the top. Um, because again, I think you are much more well-versed than I am when it comes to looking at the Negro leagues, looking at who's in the hall of fame from the Negro leagues, who's not in the hall of fame, uh, how, how those people, how those players were put into the hall of fame. Was there a certain year they started getting more than others? I know a bit, but instead of me stumbling over my words and already I've stumbled over many words. So without further ado, let's turn over to you one Can you give us an idea of, again, the history of Negro Leagues and Cooperstown, the Baseball Hall of Fame, as well as also John Beckwith. Why was this name someone that you wanted to come on the pod and talk about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, you know, I came to you with this idea. I know that this is outside of your normal comfort zone. So I want to commend you for, for, you know, accepting this uh, proposal here to do John Beckwith. And I have to tell you, I am very honored to be the one that's presenting the first candidate that's exclusively from the Negro Leagues. This is something that over the last three years has become, you know, a passion project of mine. When I'm, when I'm not working, I'm, I'm doing a lot of Negro Leagues research. So getting some of these players uh, some some more uh, airtime on, on, you know, situations like this pot of fame uh, really means a lot. So thank you for that and uh, you know just to address the the first question uh, a history of Negro League candidates and the Hall of Fame it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting so i want to kind of go through that story a little bit uh you know piece by piece here so in 1962 that's when Jackie Robinson was elected and he became the first player who had ever appeared in the Negro Leagues to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Of course, he was not inducted for his, you know, one year that he played with the Kansas City Monarchs. He was inducted for the Dodgers career, but he was the very first that had played in the Negro Leagues. Now, four years later, in 1966, a lot of people point to Ted Williams as being the the, the catalyst for change here. In his Hall of Fame speech, when he was inducted, he explicitly said that players like Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson and the many other stars that they played with should be, given spots in Cooperstown alongside him, which was very powerful for the, the black baseball community. Uh, It was, it was a huge moment for, you know, Negro league's history and things like that, because that started the wheels turning. And by, uh, you know, 1969, Roy Campanella was inducted, of course, again, for his Dodgers career mostly, but he played several seasons in the Negro leagues as well. I don't know if all your listeners know that he was a, Negro League player at 15 years old. He was unbelievable as a young player. So his career is a lot longer than people give him credit for. But uh, there was a special committee on Negro League's baseball established to begin inducting uh, Negro League players in 1971. And the thing is they were uh, going to induct, but not truly induct. They were going to name and or honor Negro League players but not have them be official inductees with plaques. And when Satchel Paige was selected as the first one in 1971, uh, there was a lot of pushback to not having him be in the plaque room. Uh, understandably, of course, you know these players were kept out of Major League Baseball and now they were doing the exact same thing or proposing to do the exact same thing and keeping them out of the Hall of Fame. Luckily, uh, Cooler Hel- heads prevailed and uh, Satchel Page was inducted in the plaque room along with everybody else uh, in the Hall of Fame in 1971. Uh, and in 72, he was followed by Josh Gibson and Buck Leonard. Um, in 73, the fourth selection from this candid- uh, from this uh, group was Monte Irvin, which is interesting because Monte Irvin uh, and Roy Campanella were leading the the group. Monte Irvin was a great player. it, it it's questionable whether he was the the fourth best Negro league player, uh, to go in at this point, but you know, I'm not going to worry too much about it. Um, got to understand, you know, if you're on the committee, you know, maybe you want to see yourself get enshrined, which Judy Johnson was also on the committee and a couple of years later, uh, he was inducted as well. Um, in between them, cool, Papa Bell, a name that a lot of us know very well, um, was inducted. In 1976, Oscar Charleston, and then 1977, Martin Dehigo and um, Pop Lloyd, John Henry Lloyd, uh, were inducted. And that made nine candidates. And that was when the committee said, our work here is done. We chose the nine candidates from the Negro Leagues that belong in the Hall of Fame, and we are closing the book. Uh, Only, (laughs) obviously, you know, there was decades of black baseball and obviously were a lot more than nine uh worthy candidates uh so at that time they ended up turning it over to the veterans committee and saying oh if anybody else is uh is hall worthy the veterans committee will have to name them of course the veterans committee was also going to be handling all the players from the white leagues all the executives all the managers all the umpires and from 78 to 94 uh there were 25 white candidates inducted, and then only two more from the Negro Leagues. One of them, Rube Foster, literally the father of the Negro Leagues. It took until the the 10th candidate for him to be inducted. And then another, Ray Dandridge, um, who, you know, I I don't want to speak badly of Ray Dandridge. He just wasn't a player on the same level as as some of the candidates that we're seeing uh, still on the outside. So that was, you know, 78 to 94, we only had two. And then <clears throat> the, uh, the Veterans Committee was given a quota system, essentially, they needed to have a black candidate go in every year, and uh, Irvin and Campovenello are still involved in this group. Uh, Leon Day, Willie Foster, Willie Wells, finally, Bullet Rogan, who I believe is the number one most valuable player in the history of the Negro Leagues. Smokey Joe Williams, Turkey Stearns, and Hilton Smith. Now, in particular there, you got like Willie Wells, Bullet Rogan, Smokey Joe Williams, and Turkey Stearns. Those are four of easily the top 10, if not four of the top eight uh, Negro League candidates ever. Uh, so that was, uh, and partway through that that stretch is when Buck O'Neill joined the group too to get uh, these candidates inducted. So that brings us to 2001. At that point, they established a special committee on Negro Leagues and a $250,000 grant uh, comes from Major League Baseball to secure as much research and statistics as possible. And they do a study over many, many years. Well, it, it was like four years, <laughs> many, many. But yeah, uh, in, in 2005, the study was complete and they were prepping this for the 2006 election that people may, have, may remember. Uh, this was a pretty big election for the Negro Leagues. So there were 94 names on the preliminary ballot uh 39 made it to a final ballot and they inducted 17 candidates and it was at this point where they were like okay we just want to make sure we've got everybody and now we're gonna really close the book on the negro leagues so in those 17 were 11 players and uh six that were given the category of executive and pioneer now they were the first non-players elected at all from the negro leagues besides rube foster who you know, he founded the Negro National League. He was a tremendous player. He was a tremendous manager. But uh, so those those six non-players, who many of them did play, but they were in as executives and pioneers. So at this point, I think there's like 35 total Negro League uh, Hall of Famers and they close the book again. And that brings us all the way to uh, 2022 when the era committees, uh, they ref reformatted the era committees if you remember the the era committees when they first came out the oldest uh era committee was called the pre-integration era which was a terrible name because it just highlighted the fact that not only were they still reviewing candidates from white baseball when it was segregated but they had closed the book on black baseball so luckily in 2022 they opened up uh, the inductions again with the uh, uh the early baseball era committee to include the Negro Leagues again. And that's when we saw uh, Buck O'Neill and Bud Fowler uh, honored with Hall of Fame selections. And then also on the, um, the golden days era, Mini Minoso was finally selected that same year. So in a way, we had three candidates from the Negro Leagues go in that year. But it was interesting that after all those years, 15 years of no selections and a lot of statistical research, it was two pioneers that went in, uh, not anybody for their stats. Uh, The ballot did have Vic Harris, who is a tremendous manager and player, John Donaldson, who is a pioneering barnstormer, but then George Scales, Dick Redding, Grant Johnson, they were all on the ballot as well. Um, I had started my Building the Ballot podcast before uh, this ballot was put together. And I thought for sure that today's subject, John Beckwith was going to be on that ballot, because I feel like he's the one player who after all the research that came out in those 15 years, he was probably the player that looked the best that was outside of the Hall of Fame. But surprisingly, he was not on the ballot. So uh, fast forward to this year, the next era committee ballot, the classic baseball era, uh, there will be Negro League candidates uh, eligible again. And uh, that's why we're talking about John, today.
0: So that was very helpful, and again, like I parts of that, Adam, you know, I I was kind of familiar with others are kind of brand new. A couple of questions before we get a little more into today's topic. You know, you brought up when you were listing kind of the the sequence of how everything happened, and again, the first couple of players to get inducted, like Satchel, Josh Gibson. Those are names I've known since I was a kid. Like I I was aware of those as a 10, 11 year old. Um, cool Papa Bell, another name. I remember, I, I'll never forget this. My favorite book ever. I think I wore it down to where, you know, it fell apart. Um, so RIP to my book, but it was like top 150 athletes ever. And each page was a, a biography. It was for like a kid, mm-hmm. but each page was biography. And they had Satchel Page. They had Josh Gibson and they had Cool Papa Bell in this book. And this was about all sports, not just baseball. And I was like, wow, like, you know, for Cool Papa Bell, they had this story where he'd shut the lights off and be in bed before, uh, you know, the light went off. And I kept thinking, I was like, how do you do that? Like, as a kid, it was like your imagination goes and like Gibson hitting these home runs, like 550 feet and Satchel Paige. So those were the people I was familiar with at a very early age. And then as I got older, I started learning more and more and more But, again, you brought up that, like, way down the line, I think, um, players like uh, Bullet Joe Rogan got in, right? Um, And you think he was the – you say Bullet Rogan was the kind of the best player in your head maybe in history, yet he didn't get in until, you know, years after a number of other players in. I guess my first question just is, like, how does that happen, Adam? Like, I'm sure everyone doesn't have Bullet Rogan as – you know, the best player in Negro league history. But if, if you, someone who, again, you're not just some random guy, you, you do the research, you know, this very well, even like that's like me saying, I don't know. It would take like, I don't even know, like Roberto Clemente would take several years to get in the hall of fame. Like if this guy was maybe the best ever, why would he get in so far down the road? Is it, the numbers aren't available? Is it he wasn't as, you know, his stories weren't Paul Bunyan-like in terms of, like, cool Papa Bell. He got hit by a ground ball. He hit the shortstop. Like, why Why do some candidates who seem clear now took many more years than others who, looking back, like, how did they get in before them? What What is just your take on, on why someone like Bolt Rogan took so long?
1: Yeah, I mean, even the elections up until... 2000 2001, they're working with so little data that they might as well be, you know, on the on par with, you know, some of the elections from the 1940s. You know, we look at now when we raise an eyebrow because, you know, they didn't have a baseball almanac or baseball reference to consult about the stats, like the you know, Negro league stats have been slowly pieced together, but it's really been over the last couple of decades that we've had solid stats to look at. And honestly, really in, in the last three or four years, since, you know, that made it all the way up to 1948 uh, with the Seamheads Negro leagues database, which, you know, that that's the data that you now see on baseball reference. We have a, a an agreement with seam heads to show their data uh, for the major Negro leagues and, you know, players like, you know, of Joe Rogan, he was he spent many, many prime years not in the Negro leagues but pitching in the army because it was before 1920. So the Negro leagues were founded in 1920, but before 1920, there was black baseball happening everywhere. It was happening in you know hotel leagues, it was happening in in uh, independent barnstorming, it was happening in the army, it was happening kind of anywhere it could happen. You know, there was a, a lot of great teams in Cuba at that time too, where, you know, players from the U S would actually go and play in Cuba. And, you know, it was not this singular entity that we've become so used to with major league baseball. And, you know, the, the number one thing about the Negro leagues, you know, we have the Negro leagues as major leagues now that, that since night and since Mm -hmm. 2020, you know, that is official from major league baseball that the Negro leagues are major leagues. And I think that a lot of people raise some eyebrows with that because the stats look so different, the the seasons look so different, but we have to understand that just because the Negro Leagues are major doesn't mean that they're the same as the AL and NL. They were a very different thing. And most you know, most of those reasons, nearly all of them are because of the systemic racism. They were not allowed to play in the AL and NL and were forced to start their own thing. So that put them at a huge disadvantage. Uh, You know, they had to get money to fund this any way that they could. So that leads to shorter league seasons and longer barnstorming seasons leads to uneven schedules because, you know, why is a, you know, a top team going to go play, you know, the bottom team, you know, in a series in September when they're going to get like no money for it? Why don't they just, you know, play an exhibition uh, series against, you know, this, popular white barnstorming team or something like that. They had to go where the money was. So there's so many reasons I could give for that answer. And so much of it is, it comes down to they were not allowed in the system that, you know, that, you know, kept the statistics and organized these nice tidy schedules. It was just a very completely different thing. And they thrived in it too. It was a thriving business that they, it was, it's really remarkable how the Negro leagues, uh, you know, grew and and lasted over the the decades that they did. And then, you know, Jackie Robinson comes over and all of a sudden the, the top players, I will say slowly start integrating the game. You know, we had many, many years where a lot of the top players were not in Major League Baseball because, you know, there were quota systems on all the teams. You know, the Dodgers didn't want to have too many black players. So many other teams didn't want to have a single black player. And, you know, we had some really, really great players that were forced to play in the minor leagues or to play overseas uh, or not overseas, but like in the Caribbean and and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's so many different aspects to it that I kind of don't know where to start. But hopefully I gave a, a, an example of a few of the reasons.
0: I think that was a really good start. Um, and I'm sure they'll come up throughout the podcast. But let's start talking about our, our topic at hand today, John Beckwith. um. First things first, Adam. You know the drill here. When you hear the name Beckworth, I guess what what's the first thing that's come to your mind?
1: Uh, this this was a an answer that's different than most other candidates because if I hear the name John Beckwith, I'm thinking, oh, okay, this person knows what they're talking about. Let's talk some ball <laughs> because, you know, I don't get to talk John Beckwith t- with too many people, so uh, it's it's always uh nice to hear his name come up. And you know maybe maybe I'll just take this opportunity to say well who was John back he was a, yeah. a, a he was a masher just an absolute masher and I think a couple of the reasons he does not get uh, he was not well remembered after his career was because he moved around a lot from team to team doesn't have that single you know he did play for the Kansas City Monarchs or uh, he played with Homestead but not for like uh, a long time like you, mm-hmm. you might see Gibson and, and Buck Leonard. And he didn't have a position. And a lot of ways that uh the Negro League players are remembered over time is like the all-time team from Cumberland Posey, the all-time team from the Pittsburgh Courier, the all-time team yep. from Saul White, you know, that those types of things. And he didn't have a position. You know, in the Pittsburgh Courier poll, he was listed as a utility man. But you know, he didn't have a he wasn't a player that didn't have a position because he couldn't field anywhere. The positions that he played were third base shortstop first base and catcher. And those are some pretty good positions. I'm not going to tell you that he was a amazing defender, but he was a, a good enough third baseman shortstop catcher to get by at those valuable positions. So I'm not going to you know tell you that he was Scott Roland or anything out there, but he also, you know, wasn't Gary Sheffield out there in the field either. But what he did do is he hit. That was like his number one thing. He hit a ton. The Negro Leagues has a lot of great, great sluggers and he's right up there with the top of the list. Like he's, you know, some people who saw Beckwith say that he was better than Gibson. I'm a little skeptical of that. Gibson was really special, but I think that he's on that next tier with like the, the Turkey Stearns Mule Suttles group where they were just incredible hitters. Uh, and I think that uh, he he did it for it was like uh, 15, 16 years that he was in the majors. You don't see all of his seasons on baseball reference either. That's another thing like uh, some years that even with great homestead teams, they were a top team, but they weren't in one of the seven major leagues because they found it to be more lucrative to barnstorm or their league folded. There's a lot of reasons why there's some gaps on these players careers. Like even Josh Gibson, on his baseball reference page, you'll see gaps in his career. And that's because some of those top teams were not in the major leagues at the time. And uh, it's worth noting here that uh, both Sabre and uh, Major League Baseball are investigating that right now to perhaps uh, recommend other teams or leagues to be considered majors so this is all still very early in the stages uh i'm lucky enough to be on that saber committee so that's been a lot of fun to to dig into like the lineages of some of these franchises you know you've got the same franchise that might have played in four different negro leagues but you know they, they were starting with very little money so we had leagues fold we had teams move we had leagues start up again or leagues that were only considered major for one season it was a very um i don't know what it was a rocky start but you know you got to figure like when you know the national league started and the american association was out there and the players league and the union association it you know when the white league started it was not you know clean like here is the start of the history of the national league and it will be 16 teams all the way through from here on out you know that type of thing it, you know there was a lot of rockiness before it really started to settle and the negro league experienced that too they just experienced it in the 20s and 30s instead of the 1870s and 80s
0: yeah and in two two things i want to hit on adam that you brought up so one you brought up you know he never he, he moved around a lot um he was never you know when I, when I think of the Negro Leagues, the first teams I think about are the Grays and, and the Monarchs. I think that's just I think that's a lot because of Satchel and, and Josh Gibson, to be perfectly honest. Right. And he kind of moved around throughout his career. But something I also noticed, and I don't I don't know if you have a take here, but I was looking at all the the players in the Hall of Fame today from the Negro Leagues or who mainly play in the Negro Leagues, and it it does seem like most of the names I'm most familiar with and I know and that are in the Hall of Fame, mostly like played the their best baseball or were more well known in the thirties into the 40s. Um where, you know, Beckwith here, um, at least if I'm looking at kind of his main career here, it kind of is all in the 20s. And by the thirties, you know, with baseball reference, I know you just kind of acknowledge a lot of the barnstorming ones, they're not counted in this. This is just strictly like games that are major Negro League competition as you all see fit right now. But I mean, he only played on here, I'm looking at right now, nine games in the 30s, everything else is in the 20s. Does that hurt him at all? Like, is is the 30s and 40s of Negro Leagues, because it's getting closer and closer and closer to actually breaking in to the, uh, you know, American National League of Major League Baseball. Is that why I know those players more? Is that why they're, like, do the 20s and below, because you said the Negro Leagues got kind of started right around 1920. Are those players not given the shaft, but are we not thinking about them more, or talking about them more? Because again, I didn't get the exact countdown, but when I look through all the players that are in, it looked like well over a majority kind of played in the thirties into the early forties and the twenties seem to be a little more neglected in terms of players representing him from that era. Because if I'm looking at the twenties, he seems like he was easily one of the best players in that decade. It just seems like that decade, for some reason, might get ignored a little more than the '30s.
1: I'll be honest; I, I don't know if I've I've noticed that. I mean, the '20s had some great hitters there too. Oscar Charleston, uh-huh. everybody knows. Yep. Uh, Turkey Stearns, Mule Suttles. You know, a lot of those those players are, are pretty well known. Although, it took took until two thousand six for Mule Suttles to get in. So, I'm I'm always curious to see like what are the players that people do know. And, you know, Suttles is a great example of a guy that it took forever to get in as well. And I think that it's a similar type of thing to, to Beckwith where he was, you look at the statistical performance and he's just undeniably like on the level with those players and they were kept And there's, there's others too from the twenties that I think are, are horribly overrated. You know, two of my favorites are, are heavy Johnson and, and Dobie Moore. And I think that some of that too is those players lost some of their prime playing in the army. Uh, Heavy Johnson, in particular, played seven years in the in the army, and uh, then he joined the Negro leagues and won a triple crown, um, in in a stacked league. But yeah, I, I hadn't really considered the 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 twenties being less. Well,
0: because like know. I look like you, you know, you brought Mule right. He he is playing from 1924 to 1944 so he plays mm-hmm. the entire 30s um you brought up turkey stearns he goes 1923 to 1940 so he plays the entire 30s um i i guess i just I, I i seem to notice like cool papa bell yes he started in the 20s but he played through 46 gibson some of his prime years you know he's 1930 through 1946 I guess, again, the the people, and again, I am a novice when it comes to this, but it seems like the players I'm very familiar with, it seems like almost all of them, like Buck Leonard, 1935 to 1948, they seem to all play a good part of their career, if not most of their career, in the 30s into the 40s. And those are the names, at least, again, I I will continuously hit on this. Mm. I am not an expert on this by any means, but I do know a good amount about baseball history and it does seem like the, you know, 10 to 12 players I'm pretty for, familiar with and I knew about years ago all seem to at least have a good part of their career happen in the 30s, 40s. Not so much in the 20s other than I would say, um, I, I mean, I, Oscar Charleston still played 1920, 1941. So he still played through that 30s. And, and again, I, I, part of me thinks, again, when when reference started putting this all, um on which was a godsend because i always was curious you know what was josh gibson doing what mm-hmm. were sexual pages statistics i didn't have anywhere else to go really to find that information um and, and this is kind of a question i had for you lined up adam but a lot of the times you know i look at some of the postseason stuff and it looks like you know for john there's no postseason data at least on reference was there a starting point when that started to get tracked? Or is there a starting point when that dug up? Because, you know, he doesn't have any, but I look at all these other players I'm talking about, and they had, you know, multiple appearances in the Negro League World Series or some sort of playoff format. Is that why I know them more? Is that why they're talked about more? I was just trying to figure all this out because, again, I did not know this name before you brought him up to me. And I'm just trying to figure out why why that is. Like, why don't I know this name? So I could be spitballing here, but that was something I noticed as a theme. It just seemed like I knew a lot of the players from this certain decade or two in the 1920s, unless they played a good amount in the 30s and 40s, it seems like I'm more unaware of them than others.
1: Yeah, it's possible you're onto something because, you know, I I mentioned Johnson and Moore as well. I would put them with Beckwith as the three best players from the negro leagues that are outside the hall of fame and really none of them had substantial careers in the 30s like Dobie moore was was long gone by then uh so there could be something to it
0: and again this is just me this i could be the only one thinking this this is just i've been trying to figure it out as i was doing some research i was like this guy seems very very good and one of the better players in the history of the negro leagues uh it's a little shocking and maybe slightly disturbing as a baseball fan that I'm just finding him about because I am privileged enough to know you, Adam, and you're bringing this stuff to my attention, which was why I was so excited to bring this to my audience, because I'm sure there's plenty of my listeners that might know who John is, but I'm going to guess there's a ton that don't. So the fact that we are even able to talk about him here is kind of a big deal. Uh, and the fact that I'm just finding out now, I want to spread the word out there. So again, I'll probably thank you several times throughout this, but thank you for bringing this to me because it's super helpful for me to understand this because, again, I'm sure there's other players I do not, I'm not aware of, especially that played maybe in the 20s because that seems to be a decade that's a blind spot for me. But, Adam, I do want to move to our next segment here, and we call this That Memorable Moment. And what we try to do here is, you know, pinpoint a single play or a a series or a stretch of time or even a season uh, and say, you know, this was this player's most memorable moment. And again, just to keep hitting it, like John Beckwith played a long time ago. We don't have all the data. Uh, You and I obviously did not see him play baseball. And I don't know, you know, we're still trying to piece together everything at this point. But for you, Adam, for what we know and what you're aware of, what would you consider uh, beckwith's most memorable moment
1: yeah i think that for a lot of the negro league candidates they're going to struggle with this because we don't have the specific game notes and memories like uh that are public you know retro sheet is starting to build that in Seamheads has built the database on top of it we have yet to get the game by game data out there because you know it's a it's a process We're we're still early in this process but you know one of these days we'll have at least you know, historical box scores to comb through, but that won't rebuild the memories. So for a lot of these players, the memorable moment is going to be December 16th, 2020. And that's when Major League Baseball made the announcements because that's when John Beckwith became officially, finally, after all these years, a Major League player. Now, these Negro League players knew that they were Major Leaguers for many, many years. They knew that this this league they played in was just as good Albeit different than the, the the American League and National League, but you know that was the the day that finally it was long overdue but official for him. You know, if I wanted to point to a couple of interesting singular performances or memories of, of John Beckwith. Uh, after the 1928 season, after a lot of the seasons, he did a lot of barnstorming. One thing that's interesting is he didn't play in Latin America like a lot of the, the uh, top players did. He did a lot of barnstorming in the winters and 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 falls after the season. And after 1928, he played a game where uh, Rube Wahlberg, uh, who is a pretty darn good pitcher in the in the major leagues, he's like a, almost a 40-war pitcher for his career. He had just won 17 games. He would win 18 the next year. But uh, in a, in a barnstorming game uh, it was (laughs) now these barnstorming games were like really good games. They were like all-star teams going up against each other and Beckwith hit three home runs off of it. And it it is the first documented game where a Negro league player uh, hit three home runs against a major league pitcher. And I think it might be the only one before uh, 1948 when, when uh, the Negro leagues essentially, um, well, they didn't end. That's another thing to talk about. They didn't end in 1948. That's just the year that they're, the final year that they're considered major. So I'll just say, you know, up until integration and then, you know, if we had uh, players doing it in the American League and National League. But yeah, he hit three home runs off a very high quality pitcher. Um, this is back in 1928 too. And then in May 1921, he hit the first home run over the fence at Redland Field, which uh, was the old name of Crosley field. So open in 1912 and nobody actually hit the ball over the fence until he did it in 1921, which is ridiculous. They actually had rules in place where like, if it bounced once and went over, it was a home run. There were, you know, Heine Zimmerman was home run uh, champion and he never hit a ball out of Crosley field in like 75 games or something. So, you know, John Beckwith comes in and he just smokes the ball over the fence. And there's a a Saber Games project story about that game as well, so that helps us preserve that memory because you know that's also one that was reprinted in book after book after book, and that's where a lot of the memories of these uh, Negro League candidates survive. Is from you know historians like John Hallway and James Riley. They wrote these books about the Negro Leagues, and they they shared these stories over and over again, and that's you know something that helped. John Beckwith in this case, but it's also something that hurt John Beckwith too, because he was something that gets written about a lot with John Beckwith is his attitude and that he was a fighter, a malcontent, that he would quit teams. And I'm really interested in this because it sounds a lot like, you know, just a a story that, that was written once and then just you know, they just get perpetuated over the decades when we don't have like statistics and more stories to talk about. You know, you hear one person talk about how John Beckwith is a malcontent. And the next thing you do is you hear, oh, he fought with players all the time. He he fought with managers. He punched umpires. Okay. He did punch an umpire once. Uh, I'll give you that. But, uh you know, you also hear quotes from Turkey Stearns. He's like, I played with the guy. He was, he was intense, but like, he would never like, He was not a problem. He was one of the best teammates that he ever had. And you get a lot of quotes like that. People just say that he was intense. And, uh, you know, I hear a lot of uh, comparisons maybe to, you know, the way Dick Allen was handled in his career, where he was misunderstood and, you know, he commanded respect. And if he didn't get that, it was a problem. And But the thing is, he should have commanded that respect. And uh, I think it's it's interesting to see how that followed him. And I think that's probably why he didn't get in in 2006 is they were focusing a lot on things like character and John Beckwith has been uh, labeled as a, maybe a bad character guy. And I think that that's one of the reasons why he hasn't uh, made it into the Hall of Fame yet.
0: Oh, that, that's super interesting. And again, as I read through... A variety of sources to kind of prepare for tonight and, and honestly just learn. I wasn't relearning any of this. This is all brand new information to me. It seemed like the tape measure home runs was a constant store. I was coming across the, the one you mentioned, but also I read one uh, at Griffin Field in Washington, D.C. Hit hit a sign like 460 feet from home plate, and that sign was 40 feet off the ground. That was another one that was called out. Um, the barnstorming stuff came up a bit. I, I, I read somewhere... Uh, You know, his last known box score appearance was, uh, you know, against some major league baseball players. Dizzy Dean was pitching and he went one for three off him. So his last recorded box score hit was off Dizzy Dean in that in that gamer has the last one that was ever seen in a newspaper. And I was curious about when um because I've I've known this for years that, you know, Negro League All-Star teams would versus MLB All-Star teams, things like that would happen from time to time. And I came across a num uh, several different numbers. Let's be clear, but all relatively around the same area of you know for his career, uh, Beckwith you know batted like 325 against major league players or 320. It was it was in the 320 to 330 range. The different sources I was seeing against major league players. But I guess my question to you um, is: is there a is there like a master source or is there anything that's more concrete of like? numbers negro league players did against major league players in those types of games or is the information kind of just all over and um you know if if the guy was hitting 320 330 i don't know if that matters as much as the fact that he obviously was hitting very well against players in the major leagues showing again i think there's a reoccurring theme that you know the negro leagues were not just some random league it was players who if given the chance would have been all-stars mvps in the major leagues, they just weren't able to get in there. Is there any kind of master source of that or any concrete data? Cause that really interests me.
1: Yeah. One of the lines that you'll see on seam heads is, uh, games versus major league players. Uh, you'll see, you probably saw a lot of other sources as well. They have 25 games against major league players where Beckwith hit 313 but hit seven home runs in those 25 games of course three of them in in that uh one game against mm. Wahlberg so his OPS is over a thousand um the Center for Negro Leagues Baseball research is another great site they have uh like a 50 page document on on back that's really solid they have 37 games i have the feeling that they might not have um as high of a, a quality bar as seam heads there because his stats shoot up to 381 with 13 wow. home runs of 37 games so wow. that's probably teams that had like a handful or a couple of major leaguers uh as well as the ones that seam heads has um but yeah, like the Seamheads ones, those are games with like Dizzy Dean, those are games with Rube Wahlberg, like these are some quality players here that he was hitting uh, you know, over a thousand OPS against.
0: Yeah. And 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 again, the the numbers depict an absolute slugger. Big I, I think I I think I read several places, you know, 38-inch bat, nicknamed the Black mm. Bomber, just one of the best power hitters. I would say in Negro League history, and I'd let you tell me that. I mean, Josh Gibson is the name I'm always, of course, going to think about. Again, going back to 30s, you know, I, I always hear about him hitting these, you know, 450-foot, 500-foot home runs. You said earlier, kind of comparing them against each other, in terms of just sheer power, not player, but sheer power, would you consider Beckwith the biggest slugger from a power standpoint from the Negro Leagues that did not play, you know, in the American National League? Or is he just a step below you know, a, a Josh Gibson or or even a Turkey Stearns or a Mule Mule Suttles?
1: Oh, gosh. You, you named all of the big ones there. I think that, uh, you know, when talking about, I think Gibson, Charleston, Leonard, Stearns, and maybe Willard Brown are probably, I would put them a tick above uh, John Beckwith.
0: Okay. But I think
1: that he's in a group of like, I think he's right on par with Mule Suttles. Cristobal Torriente, the great Cuban slugger, was, was unbelievable as well. Uh, Pete Hill played most of his career before 1920. He was a great slugger. Judd Wilson, uh, he didn't have the power, but he had the the patience that made up for it. But in terms of like power, yeah. I think Heavy Johnson is actually another good comp uh, for, for John Beckwith, where those two, they just flat out mashed. I think the difference between Beckwith and Johnson... Is that Beckwith played more valuable positions? He played like short and third, whereas Johnson was an outfielder. Although he did catch some in his early days, and I think you know we got to throw Bullet Rogan in there. Bullet Rogan was the Shohei Ohtani though. He you know had the power, he had the the batting average and everything, but he also was the ace of the staff and uh, a great base runner and a great center fielder and everything too. So uh, I think he's he's near the top. I'm not going to say that he's at the top. But, I mean. Charleston was so special too. And Leonard Stearns Brown, I think those guys are, you know, Willard Brown is probably the one that we haven't mentioned yet. I think he's very underrated because um, you know, he was given a very, very short trial in the American League and it didn't work out. And he was sent right back to the Negro Leagues. But yeah, that that's good company to keep, though, if you're talking about the the best sluggers in in Negro League history.
0: All right. That might be a good segue into our next segment. We call this and twins and for any new time listeners all, all we do here is we look at cooperstown today we look at who has plaques and we go you know we know there's no identical twins but sometimes there's people that had pretty similar careers whether it be the way they played the game or how their statistics ran. Or sometimes it's a good mix of both. It's how they played and it's what their statistics might've looked like. John Beckwith, Adam, who who did you come up with here? You'd be the person I'd wanna know who you came up with here out of anyone.
1: Yeah, you you know I always come way too prepared for this when I've got like a the journey that I take. So the 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 baseball reference uh, similarity scores have Willard Brown, who I just mentioned as the number one, and then Heavy Johnson and Doby Moore, a couple guys I just mentioned too. But those are based on career total. So it's only going to show you Negro League players because they're the sure. only players of that quality who had such short careers. So on seam heads, their similarity scores, you got to buckle up for this one because these are some okay. names. So on a per 162 basis, they say that he's a similar player to Rogers Hornsby, Joe DiMaggio and Alex Rodriguez, wow. which are three pretty good names. So if I was gonna pick a name from black baseball, um, the one that I came to was Judd Wilson, because I think that they were both similarly valuable with the bat, but as I mentioned just a second ago, Wilson more so with his incredible batting average and patience, and um, it was is Beckwith more with his power. Now, if you look at their 162 game averages uh, at seam heads, they they come in pretty similarly. Wilson's got a 157 OPS plus. Uh, Beckwith's is 168 because of the additional power. Uh, you know, he's got double the home runs essentially of of Wilson. Willard Brown is similar too, but I think that they're he's he's a tick above though. I think. So then I started to turn my my head to the AL and NL. And here's where I'll mention Eric Shalek, another researcher uh, of the Negro Leagues. He has major league uh, equivalencies, MLEs, estimates of what Negro League players would have possibly done, you know, as best as you can estimate if they were playing in the major leagues. And it's worth noting that these estimates do not uh, estimate that the entire league was integrated they're just saying if you took this one player and dropped him into the al and nl how might he have performed uh because the the other thing i mentioned is a very different project and they estimate that for a career (laughs) um beckwith would have hit 339 391 587 with 402 home runs 2782 hits and 85.4 war so
0: what kind of an wow. all-time great right there yeah oh my good so how do they go about they is that all 162 game like how do they i don't we don't need to go into all the calculations but do you know the methodology behind that adam exactly kind of what they're doing
1: the gist is like looking at it from a season by season basis how did they perform in this season what was the quality of the league and how might that translate to a 162 game uh al nl season
0: essentially got it got it. Do you, and, and so then, this, can, go this is this is I'm sorry this is I'm just curious now. Um my brain's kind of racing. I didn't know anyone was doing anything like this. This this might not even be worthwhile. I'm just now curious. So that that's like um I I've always thought right like if like I I think the one thing I when I've seen these discussions and again I am not very involved in these. I've just seen them from time to time but I know when uh, Sports Reference put out the the statistics a few years ago, and um, you know you see like Josh Gibson's OPS is like well over 200, and people you know the, the 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 list in terms of where people rank all time, you know, slightly altered in terms of you know there's players ahead of them now, and I know there was a lot of people I saw that were kind of you know bashing it or. You know, saying you can't, you know, you can't count this. It shouldn't be the same and all of this. And um, all I could think about, well, I was thinking about a lot of stuff, but one of the things I thought about, right, was so you're saying all of this, but like, (laughs) you know, if if Josh Gibson and Turkey Stearns and Mole Sutters and all these other individuals, they were obviously good enough to be in the majors um, if they were allowed in. And if they were in the majors, they would have been better than a lot of the white players in the league they would have took more pitchers yard they would have driven in more runs they would have impacted pitchers eras uh the 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 black pitchers there would have been better pitchers there the rotations would have been deeper uh batters would have lower batting averages worse offensive statistics has there ever been any sort of like regression if (laughs) the leagues were always integrated what, you know, a Roger Hornsby would have batted or some of these pitchers would have actually done because I, I know that's like an um, almost an impossible exercise, but it goes both ways. And I feel like that's never really thought of, or, or maybe everyone thinks about this and I'm just, you know, I'm not in these circles, but is there anything of that magnitude even in existence? Because hey, I've they- thought about that quite a bit.
1: They do not think that way. And I want to commend you for thinking that way, because like the first thing that I want to say when someone says, well, who was Oscar Charleston hitting his home runs off of, you know, he he wasn't hitting them off the best players in the, in the world. Well, neither was Babe Ruth because Smokey Joe Williams was in the Negro Leagues and Bullet Joe Rogan was in the Negro Leagues and, you know, all these, you know, Cannonball Dick Redding, he didn't have to face any of these guys. Well, actually he did in the off season. And he said, wow, these are some of the best pitchers I've ever seen. So yeah, nobody has done that type of regression, but I think it would be fascinating. I also, the MLEs are interesting, but I, I worry a little bit about like, it's it, like rebuilding history in that way. Yeah. I, I don't want to like minimize what these players did do by trying to translate it. Like the things that they did in the Negro Leagues that we have the stats for, they did those things. And I think that we have to understand, Like, but it is an interesting Exercise to say, all right, by these MLEs, major league equivalencies, uh Beckwith is the eighth most valuable position player um uh, in negro League history. So that's behind Charleston, Gibson, Willie Wells, uh, who is a shortstop. So he gets a lot of positional value there. Buck Leonard, Turkey Stearns, Martin DeHigo, and John Henry Lloyd, also a shortstop. But in terms no, of like I- just the batting component of war, it's Gibson, Charleston, Leonard, Stearns, and then Beckwith. Those are the names we brought up earlier.
0: Yeah, and and, and I'm not going to spend much time on, you know, usually you and I will go back and forth on who you picked, who I picked. Again, as someone coming in this blind, I could only go off like what I was looking at sports reference, numbers that kind of lined up look similar. And I actually had two of the players you brought. I had Willard Brown and Judd Wilson down just because they, you know, again, they look like power hitters. Their slash lines were fairly similar. It's just, you know, Judd Wilson almost had double the amount of games played, but Willard Brown, or in terms of what reference has captured Willard Brown though, actually lower amount of, you know, games played, uh, on, you know, baseball reference, uh, again, batting averages, very similar and the rest of the slash line. Very, very similar. So, uh, I don't want to waste any more time on that though. I'm just going strictly off numbers. It looks like it lines up pretty closely with what you're saying but some of the comps you had earlier in terms of you know anytime you're throwing around the words dimaggio or you're throwing around 85 war could be translated i think those are all good things to be associated with
1: i i actually ended up with a different comp from the the white major leagues too if you're interested in that one yeah please go ahead yeah so i started with with harry heilman Uh, Just because I used him as a comparison for uh, heavy Johnson in my heavy Johnson saber bio, but it's not a good comp because Heilman was a terrible fielder and you know, he was a terrible fielding outfielder and actually Beckwith had value on, on defense. Um, I thought a little bit about Jeff Bagwell. I think Bagwell might actually be a decent comp for Judd Wilson because of the, the plate discipline, but I ended up going all the way back to the 19th century with Roger Connor. A 19th century slugger. He was, uh, he he played like in the first years of the majors then and he was uh, similar to how uh, Beckwith played in the first years of the Negro leagues. And his career line is, uh, you know, 316, 397, 486. Not as much power, but that's because that's the way the game was played. Almost 2,500 hits and almost 85 war. And I think that that actually ends up looking quite a bit like uh, John Beckwith's uh, MLEs. He also started at third base but moved over to first base to be an exceptional first baseman, which I think that might've actually been a a path that Beckwith might've taken in the major leagues is ending up playing uh, first base and really excelling at it.
0: All right, Adam, I want to go to our final segment here. We call this court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And this is where we do the pros and cons. And especially in this pod, we've, We've kind of tackled both sides of this, but there's two big things I want to get to here. Um, and then if you have anything else before we get to final verdict, I, I, I'll i give the floor to you. Um, but the first thing I want to go back to is um, you were talking earlier about the history of like how players were elected um, from the Negro leagues and, and how the progression went and how there was that big class, um, in, in 2006, where 11 players and, and a number of executives were put in. And then they were like, okay, we're going to probably be done after this. This is the, the big kind of last import of players into the Hall of Fame. And again, there's players like Mole Suttles and Judd Wilson, Willard Brown, people we've talked about, Biz Mackey, at someone I've known about, and several other players. And I was looking at, again, the numbers available on Baseball Reference for those individuals and in how you know Beckwith uh, stood up against them, and again, from what we have available, like if you look at batting averages, he would have had the third best batting average out of those eleven players selected. And, and actually, to be fair, two of them were pitchers. Um, so there, there's nine nine batters. So out of the nine batters, he would have had the third highest batting average of those individuals put in in two thousand six. If you're looking at um, base percentage, um, he would have had the, what, fifth best. But if you look at slugging percentage, he would have had the second best. OPS, he would have had the second best. And then OPS plus, he would have had the third best. So he's not at the end of this group or even in the middle. He's kind of a top three guy across slash lines and even his home runs You know, he would have had almost the second most just one behind Judd Wilson, but Judd has a lot more games on record. I mean, Beckwith just behind Mole Suttles, probably in terms of home run hitters on this list. And again, you've partly answered this, but I just want to go back to this. Like, Is there like a, and I don't know if this exists, but like they had all these, this this big committee, they had the grant um, to do the research. They had all these names in the pool, and these are the names they came up with. Um, One, do you have any back information on, like, was Beckwith, like, almost one of these 11 players inducted? Um, Did he make any cutoffs they had? Was he not even at top of mind? Um, Like, do you know any information there? Because, again, the numbers we have available today, he looks like a better hitter than most of these players uh that were inducted and it's hard for me to believe if they had this kind of information available Beckwith would be left off so Adam do you know like was he close to making this cut was he in the big conversation or was he a name that got cut pretty early in the process and this might be a unanswerable question I just kind of had to know because I look at this and it's not really making too much sense to me at least from the numbers I'm looking at today
1: yeah, it's a great question. I I don't have a lot of inside information there. Uh, I do know that John Hallway, the famous Negro leagues researcher, right after the election, he was <laughs> he was lambasting the committee for not selecting uh, folks like uh, John Beckwith and Dick Lundy. I think was another big one he was pushing for. He's a great one too. But I think a lot of it may have focused on the uh, the character clause, and they wanted to make sure that they were, you know bringing in bit good characters too. There's one quote in one book um, that came out a couple of years ago where somebody did talk to one of the people on the committee and said, well, we couldn't elect Doby Moore because how are you going to explain to people that you just elected someone whose career ended because he was just shot by a prostitute, you know, that type of thing, which is how his career ended. He was the greatest all around shortstop for just a few years. And I think that that was maybe focused on a little bit more than his statistics record. One thing that I did here was like his statistical record was one of the latest maybe to, to come fully into the, the picture because he is, has been a lesser known player. So, you know, people haven't been talking about his stats as long. And, you know, as the stats were, you know, slowly being compiled, he just kept looking better and better and better. So he hasn't had he hasn't been at the top of the list for as long. So it's been more, more of a slow climb uh, for Beckwith. And I think now with with the numbers on baseball reference and the numbers on seam heads and the numbers that will additionally come to to baseball reference in the future, he's just going to keep looking better and better, and he'll be impossible to ignore at that point
0: okay that that that's that's very helpful to know, and that kind of leads me a little bit to my the final question I had down here. I, you know I'm looking at the players that played, and again, this is all through baseball reference. Adam, this is basically a commercial for baseball reference tonight. I'm not going to lie. I, I definitely have never called out your company this many times in a podcast. So um, shout out baseball reference, though. Uh, but I was looking at the Negro League players not in the Hall of Fame today uh, with at least 1,500 plate appearances uh, recorded. And I was looking at where Beckwith ranked among those individuals. And, you know, he's almost at the top of the list or near the top of the list for everything. You know, it. batting average, he was third. On base, he was seventh. Slugging percentage, second. OPS, second. OPS plus, second. Home runs, fourth. Doubles, fifth. RBIs, eighth. And the fact that he's that high in some of those counting stats, like home runs, doubles, RBIs, when he has not many games on record uh, on, on sports reference, really shows just how dominant of an offensive force he was. So when I look at that, I'm like, if they were to put, another Negro league player in he would have to be at the top of the list as you just mentioned so Adam my question for you is is Beckwith right now today the best Negro league player not in Cooperstown he is
1: I have been saying that he is the best I think what I what I mean to say is that he has the best case Okay, And the how that's different is like, I think Dobie Moore was a better player all around, but he played six plus years in the Negro Leagues. He missed four years playing in the military and then his career ended because he was shot. And, you know, I, I think at his prime, he was the better player. Heavy Johnson may have even been a slightly better hitter, but I do think that uh, Beckwith is probably the better all around player. Uh, but if you count the seven years that Heavy Johnson missed, uh, then, then it's another uh, another thing to factor there. There's some others like George Scales and Dick Lundy who are right up there as well. But I think that Beckwith is just better than them. Uh, There's one from prior to 1920, a couple actually. Um, Grant Home Run Johnson. It was a great you know late 19th century, early 20th century player. Cannonball Dick Redding played in the early 20th century as well. They are fantastic players as well. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I put Beckwith ahead of all of them. If I'm going to say that somebody was at a better, you know, Dolby Moore at his prime was probably
0: a better player. But I think, like I said, Beckwith has the best case of anyone. So before we get to final verdict, M, is there anything else you wanted to cover or touch on um, about John Beckwith's career? You know, the, the thing that I keep
1: wrestling with is like how many more candidates should we induct from the Negro Leagues? Like, I don't want to, you know, I've, I've I've, heard people say that there are dozens more that should go in. I've heard some people say, oh, I've got, you know, my five that should go in. And I'm wondering how many should go in. So I started looking at the numbers around that. Surprise, surprise me, looking at a bunch of numbers to, to come up with an idea. But uh, I looked at the Hall of Famers that were active from 1920 to 48, just players, not looking at like the, the executives and, and uh, whatnot. But there are 33 Hall of Famers who played in the Negro Leagues between 1920 and 48. Five of them, though, were inducted for their play in the American League and National League. That's Doby, Campanella, Minoso, Jackie Robinson, and Willie Mays. So Mays played like part of one season there. So I really count him on the ALNL side. The same years, there's 100 players uh, from the ALNL that are in the Hall of Fame. Wow. Two of them were inducted for their Negro league play. That's, that's Paige and, and Willard Brown. So if you, if you want to avoid double counting and say there's 28 from the Negro leagues, there's 98 from the American league and national league, 22% then are black or Afro Latino players. And it made me think, you know, what should that percentage be? Like I know that, you know, 10% or, or whatever of the, the population was black or Afro Latino at the time, but we know that, on a sporting basis, it was much different. So I looked at the next 29 years, 49 to 77, there's 90 total hall of fame players, 28 of them are black or Afro-Latino. So that's 31%. So that gives you an idea of once everyone's in the same league together, 31% of the hall of famers are black and Afro-Latino. But we also have to remember that integration was slow Yep. Uh they, there were a lot of Hall of Famers that were missed because they were in betweeners. Like I'm I'm here to tell you right now, like there are players that had Hall of Fame level talent, like Totelo Vargas, Lazarus Salazar, Silvio Garcia, I'll throw in those, those are three Hall of Famers, I believe, but they were not the right age to come into the AL and NL. And they barely played in the Negro leagues as well because they played in their their native countries. But, uh, so what does it take? Should, should the, then the Negro Leagues era, 20 to 48, should that also be 31% black or Afro-Latino? And if so, how many candidates is that? Well, to get to the 31%, you would need to add 16 more players. And I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's a probably about as many as I'm, I, I would be comfortable adding. But then there's a, a wrinkle there because there's the 1920 to 48 era for white baseball, is the most populated, overpopulated era in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. There's already 126 Hall of Famers from 20 to 48, whereas there's only 90 from the next years after that, and that's with you know the the uh, expansion of the league and everything. And there's that's a huge difference. So if you're adding more Hall of Famers to the 20 to 48, then you're just making that era even more overpopulated. However, you're adding the Negro League players, which have been underpopulated, and you can see where my dilemma is. Like, I want to add more Negro League players to make it more even, but that era is already vastly uneven because of the huge number of white players. So, like, I could give you, I have like twelve names who are like my absolutely hundred percent. These are my Hall of Famers uh, from this era. Nine of them are players. Three of them. Two of, two of the three did play, but they would be in as, as different uh, categories. So my 12 are John Beckwith, Vic Harris, I would put in as a manager, but he was also a great player. Think of like uh, if if Jose Cruz uh, was, you know, like a 40 to 50 war player, was a uh, manager on par with like, a, I don't know, you can almost say Joe Torre, won seven uh, pennants, but that's Vic Harris, a, a no-brainer candidate as a manager. Uh, George Scales, who I briefly mentioned before, he had a long career, great hitter as an infielder. Dobie Moore, Heavy Johnson, Grant Johnson, Dick Redding, Candy Jim Taylor is a, a longtime manager uh, who I would put in as well. Dick Lundy, I mentioned. Rep Dixon is another hitter from the, the mid 20s to mid 30s who was who a, a really great hitter. Alejandra Ohms is a, a Cuban player who was fantastic in the Negro Leagues as well. And then uh, Gus Greenlee, the executive of the Pittsburgh Crawfords, uh, those twelve I would put in right now, and there's still like a lot more that I would consider, but like I think that dozen is a great place to start. Uh, there's still a few more uh, if we wanted to go that far, but uh, so that that's kind of my answer to to how many players should we be talking about inducting? Because I think that you know that helps frame like do I think. Bill Bird is a Hall of Famer. Well, that depends on how many Hall of Famers we still think should go in from the Negro Leagues. Um and yeah, that was my spiel. I, I think I lost track of what your question was, but I wanted to, <laughs> no. to give give that example of like another thing I've been thinking about. It's not just like, is John Beck with a Hall of Famer? It's like, how many should we talk be talking sure. about here? Because this is a new concept for us.
0: No, that's super important. So, Adam, that's a perfect segue to you know, final verdict here. You already answered the first question. I always ask my guests, you know, do you think, you know, John Beckwith should be in the Hall of Fame? It sounds like you definitely believe that is the case. But my second question for you here is do you think John Beckwith will get into the Baseball Hall of Fame?
1: I think that he will get in within the next three cycles. Wow. It might take a little bit, especially since he hasn't been on a ballot yet. But I think that, you know, the more research that's done now with the numbers just in front of you, like the, the previous ballots, the his numbers just have not <laughs> have not been like in on a blinking screen like this. But now they are and they're harder to ignore. And I think that, you know, it's going to I don't think he'll get it. I think there's a possibility he gets in this year, to be honest, because I think he's just such an overwhelming candidate. It's shocking that he wasn't on the last ballot. If he's on this year, I think there is actually a good chance. I think what, it, what we're going to see is he's going to be on this year. He'll make a very good showing. Then maybe he'll go in the next one. But, uh, you know, the, the early baseball era committee is competing with a lot of baseball. It's like, yep. you know, it's all the players from before 1980. So, you know, he's, he's up there with uh, Dick Allen and Thurman Munson. And, and you know, I, so it's going to be really, really hard to go like back to Doc Adams, who wrote The Laws of Baseball. All the way to Thurman Munson or Dave Parker, and put them all on one ballot. Uh, it's going to be tough to juggle. So, I think he should be going on, on the next one. Uh, but I'm going to say in the next three.
0: So before I answer, and again, I I honestly came in. I was like, I'm going to talk with Adam, and I'll make my decision at the end here, um, which I'm going to do in a second. But to maybe stall and give myself a, a couple more minutes here. I guess my question to you, Adam, do you ha- like you? You feel fairly confident, John Beckwith might be on the next ballot for the classic baseball air. And again, that ballot scares me a little bit because now the classic baseball air is anyone prior to 1980, which is like a hundred years, which is over a hundred years, actually, which is nuts, but that's how it is. And that's what it's going to be for at least the time being. Um, you seem fairly confident though. He's going to be on there. Um, do you have like, is there buzz in the, like, I, I, I don't get much sense in the veterans committee ever. Like I have an inside track. I, I wish I did. I, I don't. Has his name been buzzing around as being a a probable candidate for, you know, the Veterans Committee next time around? Or is this just you all like you figure and, and maybe some of the people you talk to figure with the numbers now more prevalent that they can look to? It's kind of a no brainer that he has to be included, even though we're looking at over 100 years of baseball history, even though I'm sure there's some people out there. I think you made a very good case on. Why there's room for still several more Negro League players to be in. But I I feel like there's probably some people in the camp that, like, hey, we took like they're they're good. Like, like we are good there. We need to focus on some of these other airs. Um, that era of baseball has a lot of people in it already, as you mentioned. Um, like, do you have a sense that there is a good chance? Cause I guess my fear of saying I, you know, I think he'll get elected is you know, is he even going to get on the ballot? Because that ballot's even hard to get on, let alone get the number of votes needed. It's a very tough ballot to get on. Even harder to get selected. Do you have? Do you have kind of not insider knowledge, Adam? But your confidence seems like you think he's going to be yeah. on. Um, do, do you have it? Can you, to my listeners, do you do you have something that we don't know that that yes, this guy's going to be on the ballot?
1: I I can't say that I have insider information. I just know that those committees tend to be made up of Negro League historians. Mm-hmm. And I have yet to find a Negro League historian, or they, they have some Negro League historians on them. And I've yet to find a Negro League historian who does not see John Beckwith as a slam dunk. Now, I'm gonna ask you to, to bear with me. I'm gonna, one of those researchers, Scott Simkis, I, I found this selection in a in a blog post that he was asked to contribute to about John Beckwith. And I think that it summarizes the John Beckwith case well, so maybe in court is a good time to just read this this section here. Yeah. And he starts right away. John Beckwith should be in the Hall of Fame. Of all the Negro Leaguers, his absence is one of Cooperstown's most egregious omissions. This may sound odd, but I think he was overlooked due to the lack of statistics when the Hall of Fame started including Negro Leaguers back in the early 1970s. What I mean is, by reputation, Beckwith has always been lumped in with Charleston, Gibson, Leonard, and Lloyd, the great hitters in Black baseball history, but without data for any of them, the committees needed ways to differentiate one candidate from another. This is where character and personality came into play. Leonard was a great guy, as was Lloyd. Charleston and Gibson were tough, but undeniable legends and proven winners. Beckwith was an elite slugger, but had the reputation of a brawler and a difficult teammate and personality. And I suspect this became the dominant factor whenever his name came up for consideration. So much so that even after the stats emerged and people realized he was one of the top five black hitters before integration, Beckwith has been passed over several times. Being, quote, tough with a prickly personality personality, has somehow become a disqualifying trait, even though there are dozens of similar personalities already enshrined in Cooperstown. Beckwith wasn't a criminal. As far as we know, he didn't steal from orphans or abuse women. And the only thing he killed was baseballs. And he did that about as well as anyone ever has put him in the hall of fame already. And that is from Scott Simkis, who uh, we actually mentioned on the mini Minoso episode, because he's the one that did the the research on the 4,000 hit club.
0: That was a great way to lead me to. And I, I kind of figured it halfway through and I kind of mm-hmm. think I knew where I was going in here. I just needed to make sure I had all the facts straight I could think about this clearly, but you know, do do I think John uh, Beckwith should be in, um, all the numbers I'm seeing, um, and that, especially, I mean, whenever you're talking about your, like, I I talk on this show a lot about contemporaries, the people you played with and and all that. Like if you're grouped in that same conversation to, to me, that, that speaks volume. And then sometimes it speaks over, you know, the numbers themselves, which also back him up here. So for me, I do think he should be in. Um, I think the one thing that I was always concerned of, right, is, you know, how, how many, as you brought in, like how many is too many or not too many, but like how many should be in, you know, they have that final once and for all, which it's never once and for all for anything, but 2006, so like, this is it. We did the committee. So I was like, okay, they took care of it. They must've got all the big names. But of course, as we've been talking throughout this, like all the information is not always available, Sometimes it's just personality-wise. He didn't play for, you know, he doesn't have a team to, to put behind him. He switched positions a lot. Like, there's a lot of things kind of going against him. When you look at the numbers and how he's spoken about, about the time period, it becomes pretty clear he should be in. And then the fact that the percentage of black players from that era is, is so much lower than, you know, this... Gl- gl- and that's a whole other thing. Why are there so many players from that era uh, mm-hmm. that are white in, in the Hall of Fame? It's a whole other thing. But in general... I think that was my big thing. Like, should there be more in? You made some, a really good case, Adam, that there definitely should be a number of more. And and you're and you're taking a good look at it. You're thinking about it the right way. Um, so that kind of cleared the only maybe hurdle there. Um, so I think he should be in. Now, do I think he will get in? That I asked you that kind of follow up question a couple minutes ago, because I feel like with the numbers now, he will get in. My only big concern is that classic baseball era, which is a concern for anyone for me at this point, that anyone prior to nineteen eighty, that is just such a jumble of players. Uh, I mean, some play, like a lot of players could be on the same ballot and not even lived in the, during the same era. like they never lived in the same time. Like they died before that player was born. Like that—that's the difference we're talking about here, and I just could see people voting for every which way and it gets very hard to be elected from that committee we'll see when this ballot comes out for the december of 2024 for the class of 2025 coming up um if beckwith gets on there and that committee can be somewhat rational in terms of how they're voting i do think there i do think he can get in but i i'm not very like i don't know how that's gonna look like i don't know how that's gonna play I believe, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, this is going to be the first time that Classic Baseball Air is is voting under this new structure with 1980 prior. Is that correct? Or have they voted once before?
1: This will be the first time, yeah. Okay. And so I if- guess
0: I want to see how it runs. Like, <laughs> I, I, I almost will have a better answer next year. Like, even if John doesn't get on for this time, if he gets on the next one, if I can see how it runs and and, and if it's not a complete mess, um, I would say he's going to get in. If that's just a complete mess though, I, I don't know anyone prior to 1980 might have a lot of trouble getting in, in the near future. So I'm kind of hedging a little bit here, but I'm I'm comfortable with hedging right now on that.
1: Yeah. I, I think that that's exactly the, the biggest concerns that I have is like the the makeup of the committee and the fact that he wasn't on the early baseball committee ballot last time that, that worries me too. That was shocking. Like I figured he was about the, the, biggest slam dunk there was um i'm mean, not that the players they put on it were, were terrible i think you know john donaldson is interesting as a pioneer and vic harris the manager i mentioned before you, you know he's he's a easy call as a manager and he almost made it in um and uh, uh george tubby scales was was on there as well and grant home run johnson and dick redding so they, they were great picks but for some reason beckwith keeps getting overlooked and i feel like at some point, his time is going to have to come, and and I just hope that uh, he, he takes advantage of it.
0: All right, and well, I want to thank you for coming on to not just talk about John Beckwith, but to educate me on John Beckwith. It's not too many times I get to have someone on who completely just, I mean, what informs me about 80% now of what I know about an individual, but this was super helpful for me. I hope my listeners got a lot from it. Uh, I will now be very interested to see John Beckwith if he gets on the ballot coming out next year. Now, I have, I I don't want to say skin in the game, but it's not, I will see that name and be like, okay, that's a a Negro League player from the 1920s. I will know a good amount of information about him and I will be keeping up to date. So I now have that to look forward to. So Adam, as always, love having you on. Thank you for the kind of history lesson today because honestly, a lot of that was brand new news to me um before we get you out of here you know we plug baseball reference enough tonight uh but anything else you want to throw out there where can people find you what do you got going on
1: yeah i'll just add that like a few years ago my negro league's knowledge was very limited so you others can can feel free to learn uh just as much as I have, I want to thank uh, Kevin Johnson, Gary Ashwell, and Scott Simkis, all from the Seamheads the Negro Leagues Database. You know, they're, they're our partners on this data, but they've become great friends and they've helped me in this journey of learning about the Negro Leagues. I recommend checking out the Seamheads Negro League Database and following their work uh, as they do it, Gary's got a, a great blog called Agate Type, and and uh, Scott and Kevin are both on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, Baseball Twit is where I am. But uh, yeah, I encourage people to learn about this. It's not too late. I you know I I, I admit like in 2000, uh, 2000 in, in twenty twenty uh, when we started working on adding this data to the site, and I saw like Heavy Johnson and Bullet Rogan all together for the first time. I was just like. Oh my God. And Beckwith was a name I, I did not know, uh, you know, just a few years ago. So this is baseball history is still evolving. Like we're learning more all the time. And that's, that's the most exciting thing about the Negro leagues research is there's just so much more to learn that I didn't even know that we didn't know yet.
0: All right, Adam. Well, again, it's never too late to learn. I know I will be, Kind of now look, I I found these sources I didn't really ever look at that I can now go back to. And you even named a few players tonight that I'm not that familiar with and I want to go look at again. And you named a list of players that aren't in today, um, along with John Beck with other Negro League players that maybe should get a look down the road. So we might have to have you back on, Adam, down the road. And I'll be a lot more well versed than I was even an hour ago in terms of what I can talk about there. Um, and how we talk about these players. But again, I really appreciate you coming on Um, as always had a blast and um, I will talk to you again. I'm sure soon.
1: Thanks so much again for this opportunity. Appreciate it.
0: All right. I want to thank Adam again for coming on the podcast to talk about John Beckwith. Again, I apologize. I think I said Beckworth several times. I don't know why that was in my head, but. Uh, ap- apologies for that but that is all we have for you today if you don't already please subscribe to us on apple Podcasts or spotify where you listen to podcasts Follow us our twitter at pot of fame if you've done all that you have done your homework i hope you have a great week and we will talk to you next monday take care